Hello, and welcome back to the Logan and Jake Take Podcast. We're back. What up? We promised that our return would be more imminent, with more blockbuster feature films coming down the pike. And, uh, yeah. Is it pike or pipe? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's coming down the pipe. I don't know. I don't make the rules here. I simply repeat mistakes I've oft made my whole life. (laughs) Uh, So, the pike, the pipe, the street, the road of dreams, uh, whatever. Uh, A lot of great feature films coming out. And we had the privilege of uh, seeing... Two of the films we were uh, curious about this week, we watched Insidious Chapter 5, The Red Door, and this morning we took in a screening of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. The seventh installment in that franchise. Um, So we are going to, of course, talk about those We're going to give you uh, full discussions on those, break them down, uh, tell you whether or not we think you would enjoy them, whether or not we think you should watch them, and uh, of course there will be mild to full spoilers. That will be a little bit later. Logan, uh, as the people know, we always begin this with me saying, how was your week? Oh, well, you know... It's been a pretty uneventful but relaxing week, enjoying the limited time I have left till I have to go back to work, which is, at the time of this recording, about a uh, week and a half away. 8 a.m. on July 24th. God, help me. And then the children show back up August 1st. Which is just brutal. Give me, give, give me, give me, give me five more weeks, please. I need brutal. it. But, um... Besides just relaxing and enjoying my time off, I've started cooking more lately. Uh, I've been attempting to, to learn some French cooking things. And it's, it's, it's going about as you would expect from someone who has no uh, experience in the French culinary world. But, but, it's not going as bad as I thought it would. So, you know, hey, within a few months, I might have some things down stop by, make a meal for the squad, as it were. See how that goes. Looking forward to that. We've been uh, we've been trying out a few different things here as well. Uh, I keep sending my wife tons of recipes every day. Um, she's in the background screaming that they're all extremely unhealthy. But I say, what she calls unhealthy, I say is incredibly delicious. Um, what did you say well, it's all just like casseroles and stuff that it's, it's it's a lot of chicken dishes that have like ranch and butter Buffalo and cream of chicken soup. Buffalo chicken alfredo spaghetti. Buffalo chicken alfredo spaghetti. Damn, that's not chicken bacon. Chicken bacon cheesy casserole. It's all delicious. I mean, it's delicious. It also and probably never gonna. That. It's also probably gonna kill you. I never denied uh, that, but uh, I also don't want to. I'm like, sure I can get the cardiac event. I'm sure I can get 19 to 26 more years in before the cardiac event takes me. Player, you're um, only 33. Not with these recipes. <laughs> Not with these recipes, she says. 
But yes, uh, gonna be doing a lot of good southern cooking here um, over the next few weeks, I hope. Um, we've also, we actually made scramble burgers the other night, and those were freaking delicious. I will give you one to two of these crazy recipes a week. And then we get to go out to eat the other three to four nights That's a week. not how that no, works, fam. No, no. Okay, we've just negotiated that I get to go out to eat multiple times a week. I'm she literally eat. said no. That's not how <laughs> negotiations work. Uh, <sighs> most of these negotiations are she says things, and I'm like, okay, cool. And mm-hmm. then I cave because he's so adorable. Hmm. As you heard it here, folks, I'm adorable. Anyways, uh, moving on past the delicious Bro, recipes. You gonna be dead in general? Uh, she just, she's just dead to me anyway. <laughs> So. Yeah, Logan and my wife had a brief uh, uh, falling out over the fact that she's uh, not a fan, per se, of Hootie and the Blowfish, which really breaks Logan's uh, worldview. She had the audacity to tell um, you she forgives me, but I'm not the one who did anything <laughs> wrong because, because the, I'm in the right. <laughs> Logan's worldview is that uh, everyone loves Hootie and the Blowfish. and that Everybody if, loves Hootie uh, and the Blowfish. If Hootie and the Blowfish were to come to town, everyone it would, sell would, out. would go. It would sell out. The dad can't speak. We've had this running gag for a long time about how I bet you there are people who wouldn't go. And he's like in denial that that's possible. And so my wife, the other day, I just thought to ask her, I was like, would you go to a Hootie Hootie the Blowfish concert? And she's like, no, probably not. And so I was like, oh, I cannot wait to tell Logan this. She did to me. But it's fine. It's fine. I love you too, Logan. I don't speak to ghosts. (laughs) Let her cry. And the tears fall down like rain. It's a fantastic Let song. Let us sing. It's a fantastic song. If it eases all her pain. Email, email into the podcast if you would go to a Hootie and the Blowfish. We don't have the rights to the song. Stop. And if the sun Stop. comes up tomorrow, let it be. I mean, that's a wonderful song. If you would go to a Hootie and the Blowfish concert, email us. If you wouldn't go to a Hootie and the Blowfish concert, email us and let me tell you why you're wrong. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Just trying to wrap summer up uh, as as painlessly as possible. It's been uh, it's been stressful. Hmm. There's been hmm. some you know some family fireworks and dramatics going on, and just trying to get through. Just trying to coast through. I mean, this has been the summer of family drama, really, on our end, and just trying to coast through, get past all of it. We took a nice trip to South Carolina for a few days uh, in between recordings. There was more family drama there. <laughs> so it's just like, well, let's just go on back. I got really horrifically sunburned, really tr- tremendous amounts of sunburn that I'm still navigating. But my lovely wife has been applying lots of aloe. Um, might I just recommend, even if you're using a higher... Um, SPF such as 70, 80, 100. Make sure you do multiple layers. Make sure you wear a hat if you're balding. And make sure uh, that if you're incredibly sensitive and you're going to be outside for two or three hours in the pool like me, uh, that you just go on and throw on a t-shirt. No shame in the game. 
All right, so, Logan. So, uh, is there any news to discuss? Uh, there's there's tad bit tad bit of news. So first and foremost, I think this is the most important bit of news. Uh, we got our first look at Hugh Jackman on the set of Deadpool Trace, and after twenty long years. That man has finally donned the yellow Wolverine outfit, and it looks, looks phenomenal. It looks fantastic. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I like the character Deadpool. I liked the first Deadpool movie. Deadpool 2, funny, would probably never watch it again. Was not really all that interested in Deadpool 3 other than, like, I'll probably watch it, but I'm not excited about it. Until I saw Hugh Jackman in the yellow classic Wolverine costume. Now I'm, like, fully on board. I, I'm, back in, I'm back in the saddle now. I was excited for Deadpool 3 until Disney bought Fox. Because I was like, I'm never... Either we're not getting Deadpool 3 or I'm not getting a rated R Deadpool movie. And I don't want a PG-13 Deadpool um, but it looks like we're we're getting full blown rated R. Yeah. Deadpool. And I'm like, good, good. I have full faith. Uh, I don't know when this movie's gonna. Actually, no. It should still come out on time because the script was done. Although I don't think there's gonna be as much improv because technically Ryan Reynolds is That's classified right. as right. a writer, and if he does any improv lines, mm-hmm. he well he can't because mm-hmm. he's a part of the writers. Group. That uh, actually, although they. Well, improv. So improv is in a weird light. So middle well, area. I actually have like an official answer about this. Wonderful. Be- because on Kevin Smith's podcast with Mark Bernardin, they talked about this, and they both confirmed that um, the the regulations of the writer strike means that Deadpool three cannot have any improv. Mm. So. That is going to mean that whatever was written on the page can... Okay, so what if it's other characters that are improving? Because if they're not technically writers, then it wouldn't be breaking any union rules. I don't know. The, they didn't actually bring up like the specific that Ryan Reynolds can't improv because he's a writer. Mm-hmm. Um but did you know that the actors are about to go on strike too? Yeah, I saw that. Um, so, I mean, look, I pay these people. People like so. A lot of people like who are listening may not know, but basically, the strike. I'm not going to go into like the technical specifics because it's like a, it's a lot. But like, essentially, the writers are not getting what they're owed as far as their money. They're not mm-hmm. getting paid well, and they're also not getting credit for a lot of things that they write. And writers in Hollywood, especially like the lower level staff writers and things, they're giving out ideas and working for free. They write treatments for free all the time. Their ideas get used. They get no credit. They don't get paid. Uh, and then they get fired mm-hmm. and shuffled out the door uh, this happens. God forbid they dare to complain about right. the fact that they are not getting paid. Uh, and so what's happened is all of the the writers guild has gone on strike. This has happened before, most notably 2007. 2007. Uh, this one is more uh, intense. I think it's already gone longer. Um, 
That one went and, for about a hundred days. I don't know how long um, this one's been going. This one, uh, it may not have gone longer yet, but I, I anticipate this one is going to go... Um, based on what I was reading the other day, they're thinking that the strikes are going to go until around Labor Day. God. Um, what that means is anything that's currently in production, uh, if the script was finished then as long as they go with that draft of the script and no writer picks up a pen to edit it in any way, they can shoot what's written. Mm -hmm. But if they have a script and they were filming part of it and they don't have an ending yet, they have to halt production. Um, If you were halfway through a a series of television, they had to halt production the day that the writer strike started, and that was, what, two months ago now? Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, famous examples of why you need writers, especially when you're already filming stuff, um, you, without writers who can, like, fix stuff while you're filming, you get such things as Quantum of Solace Mm -hmm. and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually, I want to say Transformers Revenge of the Fallen didn't actually have a script, which is blatantly obvious but no like pay these people what they're worth Hollywood writers even if they are getting paid they're getting paid peanuts compared to how much they're making studios oftentimes a lot of them like can barely still afford to pay their bills which is ridiculous when you think about how much money these movies and TV shows make there was one person I don't remember if it was I don't remember who it was the show they wrote for was nominated for an Emmy. They could not afford to go to the Emmys because they aren't getting paid. Right. And I'm sorry if you if you're working on an Emmy award winning sh- or nominated show, you should get paid accordingly. I, agree. I get it. I get it. The writers are not big names like actors and directors. But I'm sorry. There's nothing for actors and directors to act in or direct if there's nobody writing it. Mm -hmm. And it's about time they got treated the way that they should. Yes. And it's not even like they're asking for a ridiculous amount of money. They just want the money necessary for them to pay their bills and have some form of quality of life. And good news for us uh, is that if we decided that we wanted to... uh, join the Writers Guild, and we wanted to make a movie. Um, According to Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin, if it's under a certain very small budget, those, like, independent things can proceed. So, like, uh, if we were in a position to make one of our feature films and our budget was, like, under, I want to say, I think Mark Bernardin said $3 we could actually produce that movie still. So, uh, while there's nothing being produced... We definitely don't um, have anywhere near $3 million. Since our budget is probably in the neighborhood of $3,000, spread out over six months to a year. Uh, (laughs) um, And a lot of Chick-fil-A sandwiches for the crew. Um, Uh, No, they can get a McChicken. And Little Caesars. Um, We could probably produce some of our, no doubt, masterpieces that that we've been cooking for a long time. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, hopefully that gets resolved. Pay the writers, please. Just pay them. Pay them. I want my entertainment. Yes, because, because, and another thing, 
the, the 2007 writer strike is kind of responsible for the influx of reality TV we got. Yeah. And we've never really recovered. Rea- it, the yeah. writer strike of 2007 is kind of directly responsible for things such as Jersey Shore, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and a slew of other garbage TV that, like, I get it. it it's for a specific audience that we are not part of. It's not good, though. It's not good TV. And I I like Hell's Kitchen, but that's, like, that's the exception to the rule. I would argue that, like, 90% of reality TV is god-awful. It's true. Um, There's no reason that Survivor should have been going, like, 20-plus years at this point. Speaking of shows that went for a long time, I saw the trailer for the re- the reboot of Kitchen Nightmares last oh, night. I uh, it's, it's coming, I think, September 25th. Mm. I cannot wait. It looks hysterical. Um, it looks like Gordon is back in full swing. Can't wait. Um... Also, speaking of all this kind of uh, like reality TV show, I actually watched the entire first season, first possibly only season of, I believe it's called The Family Stallone, the Stallone show that he filmed about like his family, like his daughters and stuff. It, didn't know he had a reality. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus. That's why. Uh, it was interesting. Mm. It was interesting. I mean. It was filmed during, like, the filming of season one of Tulsa King, which was an excellent show. Um, and uh, you really get to know his three daughters very well. Uh, that was sort of the focus of it. I think he really wanted to introduce uh, the world, like, to his daughters, like, in more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some cool stories in there from him. He does go to Philly at one point, um, and like he tells some stories about Rocky and stuff. Uh, I mean, it's still very much reality television, you know what I mean? Right. But uh, not bad, not bad. Um, so what I liked about it was each episode was only like 25, 30 minutes, so like, I could just knock them out when I was bored. But yeah, watch that. Um, we've still been watching uh, The Walking Dead, Dead City. We're four episodes down, two to go in that little uh, limited series spinoff of The Walking Dead. Set five to six years after the events of the main series, which just ended about eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think we'll probably review that like when it's over. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But I will say what I said on the last episode... Uh, it's a little bit closer to good Walking Dead than it is bad Walking Dead. So, um, I'm. It's not. It's not great, but it's entertaining. Forty-five minutes of my life. It's better than seasons four, five, and six. It's definitely better than season seven and eight. Yeah. Oh, uh, more more news. Um, Superman Legacy. They have added some new actors into some key roles. We've got Isabella Merced. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. If not, I apologize. Uh, she'll be playing Hawk Girl. I think she's best known for being Dora in Dora the Explorer. Was that her? 
Is that her? Let's see. Hold I on. don't know. I think it. I think it might be like Give from me. the cartoon Dora or mm-hmm. like the movie Dora. From the movie Dora. Yeah, she played Dora in uh, the Lost City of Gold. Okay. Hey, good for her. Good for her. Uh, next up, we've got Eddie Gathegi, who will be playing a version of Mister Terrific. Good. I like that actor. Um, he's better than that nonsensical character he played in Twilight. Man was an ashy when vampire. I, uh, didn't make no damn sense. I heard Mr. Terrific was going to be in that movie. I was like, Curtis Romero? Which is a version of the It character. is a version, and it is a version they made up because there is no. I'm pretty sure in the com- that character like, name. I'm, I'm pretty sure in the comics his name is like Mitchell or Michael or something. And Well, there's two different versions, so it just um, kind of depends on which version. But oh, there's not one called there's, Curtis. There's Michael Holt, and in Arrow, Curtis was yeah. Curtis Holt. But uh, what else, what else, what else? But yeah, um, hopefully this goes better than when he played Darwin in X-Men First Class. Mm, can't, you can't convince... who. Mm, mm. Real quick, that man played a character named Darwin whose mutation was... He could adapt to anything that was trying to kill him. And then Kevin Bacon took a ball of energy, stuffed, shoved it in his mouth, and was like, adapt to this, and then he died. Makes no sense, because his body would have adapted. I hate that part of the movie. It's so stupid. And I was like, y'all just needed an excuse to kill him off, and you don't fool me, Fox. So getting real meta here, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but also crossing streams. If Deadpool is connect and Deadpool is connected to those Fox movies, it's now owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon as an actor is very prominent in the Guardian series. Mm-hmm. We now have Kevin Bacon as the actor Kevin Bacon. Yes. Who played mm-hmm. that character in the X-Men movie. Multiverse. And the character himself. Yes. I'm positive it'll never get brought up. Because I'd laugh if it did. Though. Because we, we're not running things, so we can't set that joke up. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Um, and then last but not least, Nathan Fillion finally getting a shot at playing a live-action Green Lantern, and it will not be Hal Jordan. It will be none other than, like, my least favorite Lantern, although I still like the character, Guy Gardner. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I, I think Guy Gardner is the one I'm, like, least interested in seeing, but good for Nathan Fillion. Good actor. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, good for him. It... So it's it's a mix bag because like I I think Guy is an interesting character. He's just a very angry dude who like most people in the DC universe just don't like because he's it's coffee. Bro. Okay, he's just like at a first very, I thought you were maybe no nah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> your stomach was just kind of giving you trouble there. No, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little hungry. Um, but no, I if you're say if if. I'm assuming that Guy Gardner is just going to be like an older Lantern, yeah. and they're going to go young for Hal so that he's around the same age as Superman. That's cool. That's fine. It doesn't, like, yeah. I'm not one of these people that's going to get like, like that's not the lore. lore. Well, I will say this. Unless they, like, no, okay, okay, we've not seen him as the character. But isn't Guy, uh, 
No, and, and I could be wrong about this because I was not a big Guy Gardner fan, so it's not like I was reading tons of Guy Gardner comics. Isn't Guy Gardner a redhead? Yes. Okay. Because I was thinking when I saw that, I was like, I bet that he won't be a redhead. And that's not a big deal. I don't care. But it is another example of how they are they are coming hard Look, after redheads. As long as they <laughs> didn't cast Eddie Gathegi as Guy Gardner, I don't care. I don't care. Because if they if they had cast Eddie Gathegi as Guy Gardner, I'd have been like, so y'all not... <laughs> I'm not gonna say the joke on here, but I see what y'all doing. I see what you doing, and I'm not okay with it. But no, I'm honestly. So yeah, Guy Gardner is a redhead. Nathan Fillion is not. They'll either like just let him keep his normal hair. That's or probably what they'll do. It'll be like a like a faded out strawberry blonde yeah. look. And you know me, I don't I don't care about those okay. kind of things. But I did I just thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, another ginger that's not gonna get the representation. I'm like, y'all out here, you're killing me. Um but no, honestly this well they just this, it goes to it serves to like to show like lend more credence to the idea that Superman legacy is going to be a world that's already populated by lots of heroes. Yes. Um versus the uh, approach where Man of Steel sort of had Superman be the first hero that people knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's good if you're retooling everything. It's a good idea to just have heroes out there and be like, look, look at our wonderful universe. I do think it's interesting. So we got Superman and Lois. I find it interesting that Apparently, they still haven't nailed down Lex Luthor yet. And they're just like, but here's three other characters who will also be in this. I'm curious who's going to be Lex. I'm curious who's going to be Perry White. Uh, I'm curious if we're going to get Jimmy Olsen in this or not. So, I would be kind of shocked if we didn't get Jimmy Olsen, especially considering the last time what, we got Jimmy Olsen. What happened Yeah, with that in um, Batman vs. Superman. Where you would not, you actually, you wouldn't even know that was Jimmy Olsen uh, unless you, you watched watch the Ultimate it. Edition. No, you, no, no, because he's listed, he's named as Jimmy Olsen in the credits. Well, that's true. And I didn't, yeah. like, so when we watched it, I was like, bro, did you did you see? Because, and it's funny, because that actor who played Jimmy Olsen played Lex's clone brother in season seven of Smallville, yes, Julian, who got shot in the streets of Metropolis in this version. Well, this actor played the same character. Well, not the same character, but he got shot in the like, middle of nowhere. I'm like, that man cannot help but get shot when he's involved in DC property. And then they tried to, like, they did the whole, like, Jenny Olsen thing in Man of Steel. I'm like, just, just give me Jenny, just give me Jimmy Olsen, please. Yeah. And actually, Jimmy got brutally murdered in Smallville, too. Yes, he did. The only version recently that hasn't been murdered is McCod Brooks, who was Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl, but then they wrote him off. Well, and my adventures with Superman started this week. Uh, the, the cartoon on HBO Max. Sort of vaguely anime-style Superman adventures. I'm loving it. Uh, Jimmy Olsen. Also not a redhead. No. He's black. Yeah. <laughs> I see what they do. Jimmy Olsen is, uh, uh, but he's a conspiracy theorist, which is cool. It is cool. Uh, um, also, all the stuff that he's theorizing about, it's all factual. Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah, I, I, th- I actually like I like this 
little cartoon, um, My Adventures with Superman. Uh, it's airing now on HBO Max. You Next episode check out the first two the episodes. Fourteenth. So, looking forward to continuing watching that. So yeah, we'll continue to update you all on the latest entertainment news as we get it. We did hear that there's going to be a Tron sequel. Um, uh, Aries, starring Jared Leto and uh, who was the other actor it said was going to be in that? I have no idea. It was another famous actor. Uh, that's vague, but it was another. <laughs> it was another like moderately famous Let me person. See if I can pull it and up. Jared Leto. Um, I hope that the deep fake and CGI technologies are further advanced if they decide to bring back a younger version of another character. Um. I really like Tron Legacy a good bit. So, you know. So if we're bringing back Jeff Bridges. I'm like, how? Whatever. Evan Peters. Evan Peters, that's right. Quicksilver himself. Um, yeah, it's better than going with Dahmer. Um, fair. Uh, we're just going to watch It's this, also better than going with you know, Tate from American Horror Story. We're just going to watch this Flash movie, and then I'll let you go. Like, just kill just, me now. Yeah. Kill me <laughs> and eat me now. Uh, okay. So, um, Logan, do you have any hot takes or quick takes? Uh, I don't have a hot take or a quick take, but I've got round two of the game we started last the last episode. This time. Last, last time, it's top five highest grossing movies of all time. Okay. okay. This time. Top five uh, best-selling albums of all time. Top five best-selling albums? Top five best-selling albums. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yes. It's more difficult. This is way harder. Yes, it is. Way harder. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like to know what... Because I'm only asking you for the top five. Would you like to know what number 20 is? Sure. Okay. Number 20. 15 million certified units. The Bee Gees Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me the number of units sold for number six? Because that will give me an idea of where number five starts. Six. Twenty-three million. Okay, I'm gonna say that number five. Is mm-hmm. it's a lot of dead space right now. I'm gonna say Michael Jackson's bad album. Michael Jackson, bad. bad. Nah, I'm gonna say I that. don't know why I type Michael Bad Jackson. Okay, all right. What you got for number four? Number four. I'm going to say the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club Band? Mm. Maybe. Okay. It's 
Sergeant Papa. All right, number three. Number three. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I need an answer. Number three. I have absolutely not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. Pink Floyd's um, another brick in the wall. That album, you know that album. Okay. Um. Okay. Now number one and two always fluctuate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do know that number two. Should be mm-hmm. because I just read recently that it slid back down to number two. Mm. Number two should be the Eagles' greatest hits. Okay. Number one should still be because of all the units it sold again after his death, Michael Jackson's Thriller album. All right. Okay. Let's see here. Michael Jackson thriller. I am not good at guessing the So before I delve into this, let me do a quick I don't know why I started typing like I had a keyboard in front of me because I don't. Uh and if anything from Elvis or Garth Brooks is in the top five and I didn't say it, I'ma just literally <laughs> I'ma literally have to jump off a building. That seems a bit much. Because I'm one, I'm one of the only people I know who's forever trying to explain to people how many records Garth Brooks sold, and they're always looking at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Garth, you remember, Garth Brooks did so. You remember? You remember when we were uh, at uh, music trivia that night, like about 10, 15 years ago, and it was like. It was like, who was the number one selling uh, musical artist of the 1990s? And everyone was stumped. And I was like, it's Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, I doubt that. And I was like, I don't. I like, it's Garth Brooks. It was like that time we were at Trivia at Mellow Mushroom. And they were like, what was the highest rated show of insert this year? And everybody was like, it will break in bad. And I was like, no, it's not. They were like, yes, it does. Like, it's Game of Thrones. And they were like, no, it's not. I was like, I promise you it is. And it was Game of Thrones, and they were like, "But how?" And I was like, "Because it's season three, and it was the episode, it was the Red Wedding episode, mm-hmm. which was like the highest viewed episode of television of all time." All right, so I've got the updated list right here in front of me. It was updated this year. I bet you I got none of these. Starting at number ten, Pink Floyd's "The Dark Side of the Moon." Okay, so I I knew it was in the top ten. I right. put it at number two, way too high. Uh, twenty four point eight million certified sales. Number nine at twenty five point four million. Alanis Morissette, "Jagged Little Pill." You know that makes sense. It's because there were a lot of angsty people and a lot of people who went through some terrible breakups. Yeah. Number eight, and I think the number six I gave you might be wrong because I haven't looked at it yet, but it might be. But we'll get there. Number eight, Adele, twenty one. Good for her. 27.1 million certified sales. Good for Adele. She deserves this. Number seven, 28.7 million certified sales. 
Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard album. Fair. I'm mad at it. Number six. And let me see if it was the same on this previous list. Keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. If I could. No, it's not. But hey, whatever. We live and we learn. Number six. Fleetwood Mac rumors. 29.3 million. All right. So here we go. Number five. I'm going to tell you right now, you got it wrong. I, 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 you said Michael Jackson bad. Correct answer with 30.1 million units sold. Well, certified sales. ACDC's back in black. Fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair. Number four. You said the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. No. At 30.4 million, Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin 4. Fair. Mm. I'm not, I'm not like, I, I like these bands, but I'm not super hip to what was going on with their sales in the 70s and 80s, so. Fair enough. Number three, Pink Floyd's Brick in the Wall. We know. Mm-hmm. feel like you might be upset about this one. At 30.4 million sales, Shania Twain's Come On Over. I'm not upset that Shania Twain got that high. I'm just, like, confused because I wouldn't have guessed it. I mean, Shania Twain is... She's one of the greatest things to come out of Canada. She's one of the best things that happened to my childhood in the 90s. Let's see here. She was right up there with Britney Spears. Also, I think Shania Twain's had, like, a random resurgence randomly. She has. Shania Twain, like, when I was a kid, was every bit as hot to me as Britney Spears or... Uh, Christine are the other ones I had a huge crush on. Number two, you said the Eagles' greatest hits. The correct answer is Eagles' their greatest hits, nineteen seventy one to nineteen seventy five. That's been a war. That's been in a war with Thriller for a long time. Forty one point two million. And, and Michael sort of overtook it again from from everything I understand. Which means that if any of the Members of the Eagles start dying off. They're going to retake that. But at number one, Michael Jackson's Thriller at 51.2 million. Yeah. You got you got a solid, you got two. Good job. Good job. I think the thing about Thriller is that, like, it's one of those, like, few things that people over the years, like, bought multiple copies of. Like, if you mm-hmm. moved and misplaced your copy of it, you bought another one. And, like, still to this day, you can go in any Walmart and you know, vinyls back in in season, you know, you could go you could buy vinyl, uh, or you could actually, you know, the CDs in the seven buck section, you know. So, uh and for people who still listen to CDs, and of course with Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, people download and stream. They probably streamed and downloaded Thriller a hundred million times, you know. Um they said, you know, total sales of, uh, see, these lists are like physical units. Total, total, total downloads of music coupled with physical sales of, like, uh, artists or whatever. Like, I think they said, as of a few months ago, Elvis is back at number one for, like, the most listened to person of all time. That's where, like, the Beatles, Michael Jackson... Johnny Cash, Garth Brooks. That's mm-hmm. where Garth Brooks is always like very surprising. He's in the top ten. Like he's one of the top ten most listened to people of all time. Um, so real quick, uh, there are some runners up. 
they they didn't quite make the list, but they probably could in a couple of years or so if people start buying the albums. Prince's Purple Rain or 1999? We'll see. Uh, certified 23.2 million sales. The Beatles won. Yes. Sure. Uh, the BG Saturday Night Fever. So, okay, that, that fell off. 22 million sales. Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. That makes sense. I, I knew for a long time it was in, like, the top 15. Um, I guess it makes sense that it would have sold a lot in the last couple of years because Meatloaf died. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21.1, Michael Jackson's Bad. And then, honorable mentions for best-selling albums of all time. 19.8 million, Madonna, The Immaculate Collection. Sure. Uh, 20.8, Santana's Supernatural. Mm. Fire. Nice. Uh, 21.1, Celine Dion, Falling Into You. 21.6, ABBA, Gold, Greatest Hits. I've got that one. It's a good album. Uh, 22 million, Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People use that song. It's so wrong, and it's a, it's frustrating. Uh, 22.7 million, Metallica. Metallica. Uh, 22.8, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. And 31.8, The Eagles, Hotel California. Nice. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna keep this website up because there's that's a random ten richest guitarists in the world. <laughs> okay, sure. But all right, yeah. So, well, we did it. We did. Uh, you know, I wasn't over five, so I guess that's a little bit of a streak where I get a few of them right each time. Fair, I guess. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you know, I think I was three out of five last week, and I was two out of five this week. So, you know. I'll give you a shot at redemption if you can tell me the top three highest grossing artists of all time. I'm sorry, top three best selling artists of all time. The top three best selling artists of mm-hmm. all time? Uh, is this like solo or band included? Bands included. I would. I would think that that would be. Elvis, Michael Jackson, or Elvis, the Beatles, and either Michael Jackson or, like, they have to be in the correct order, by the way. Give me what you got. Number three. (sighs) Number three. I'm going to say it would be... Michael Jackson. Okay, okay. Number two? Number two, I'm going to say the Beatles. Okay, number one. Number one... Wait, no, these are these are physical units sold. I don't know. I'm going to still say Ellis. I, I'm not going to get the order right, but I'm going to say those, those, those three are good guesses. So you've got Michael Jackson at number three, the Beatles at number two, and Elvis at number one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Michael Jackson, with 400 million sales, number four. Mm-hmm. He was recently overtaken by Champagne Poppy himself, Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh, I mean, look, look. 
Look, Drake out here. He's like the most like listened to artist of the like the last ten years. It's, it's fair, it, enough. fair enough. Drizzy Drake out here. He making moves. I Wheelchair know, Jimmy Star. I know from the one, bottom, but now he's here. I know one Drake song. I liked it. Which song? I don't know what it's called, but I liked it. Is it the one where he used to call you on the cell phone? used to call me on my cell phone late night when you need my so I know two Drake songs okay it started from the bottom now we hear yeah okay yeah. good song good song yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes number two at 500 million Justin Bieber I would shoot myself uh, Elvis Presley and then number one 600 million The Beatles yeah alright uh Close. Although Justin I, I, Bieber is number ten, I knew Justin Bieber was like had, had had crossed various thresholds. It's Justin Bieber, Led Zeppelin, Madonna, Elton John, Eminem, Rihanna, Michael Jackson, Drake, Elvis, The Beatles. Not bad for not bad for uh, some dead folks, and Elvis. Not bad for a dude who's been dead for pushing fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> you just know what this means, though. In like the next fifteen. 10, 15 years, Drake going to be number one. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Bruh, he's an, he he makes undeniable bangers. That's what he do. Um, okay, so. Uh, well, is there anything else before we dive into the filmic reviews? I got nothing. Okay, well, uh, before we tell you about how Tom Cruise has once again, I mean, I guess in a few weeks he may have some help from Barbie and Christopher Nolan, but once again he has helped save Hollywood, uh, the blockbuster. Um, And before we tell you about how Patrick Wilson did writing and directing Insidious Chapter 5, we surprised anyone made it out alive. Um, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, Pure Life Healthy Hydration. Learn more at purelifewater.com slash quality. We are back. Logan, let's start with Insidious Chapter 5. Um, we know that it is, it was billed as perhaps intended to be the conclusion of the original plot thread um, that was the focus of Insidious 1 and 2. Um, we know 3 and 4 didn't have much to do with this indirectly. Um, it's been 10 years. They actually got Ty Simpkins, the little kid from the uh, first two movies, to come back and play the angsty college-age version of the character. He got tall. He did. Haven't seen him since Jurassic World. Um, we oh yeah, he was, know, the, uh, he was the nephew, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we know that there are um, there have been long gestating plans to do a completely unnecessary crossover with the uh, Sinister Verse, uh, and. We know that there is actually a spinoff already greenlit and in the works for Insidious with different characters. Indeed. Um, how do you feel about Chapter 5, The Red Door, and how it closes the door, at least for now, on the 
story of the Lamberts. I believe that was their last name. It was indeed the Lambert um, man. How do you feel Patrick Wilson did as a writer, director, and um, how you feeling a day after partaking in the feature film? I think it's probably the best installment in the franchise since the second one. I think it's better than three and four. I think Patrick Wilson did a good job. He made an interesting story. Uh, and he did a wonderful job directing. Just going back to the story, though, real quick. It is a very well-told story about the importance of processing grief and trauma the right way and the bad things that can happen to you and your family if you don't. I was slightly annoyed that Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne's characters got divorced in the movie. I mean, it makes sense, but it was still stupid and frustrating. Um, it's a wonderful story about a dad and a son who just can't connect due to the trauma of what happened in the past. For those that don't remember, uh, in Sidious 1, Patrick Wilson's character, uh, when he was a little boy, he would be out here going deeper and deeper into the further. He passed that gift on to his son. So his son started going deeper and deeper into the further until he uh, got locked up by a dude that looked like a methed out Darth Maul from deep state Alabama. And Patrick Wilson was out here being haunted by a creepy ghost lady wearing a black dress. But actually, I think it was a dude, ghost, ghost dude wearing a black dress because his mama would beat him in a white dress. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But, so that movie is dealing with all that. They finish off Darth Maul. Uh, but Patrick Wilson gets possessed by the creepy ghost ladies, which then in the second movie causes him to start like tormenting his family and he goes like full uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. And I don't know about you, bro, but you should never go full Shining Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholson. Uh, and well, you should never imitate the great golfer and go full shining either. <laughs> but it, I don't. There are parts of this movie that work. I think the problem is that because it's focusing both on Patrick Wilson's character and on the son, it feels like you're watching two separate movies at times, and it doesn't focus on either one of them enough in my opinion because you've got what was the Dal Dalton was the kid's name mm -hmm. so you've got Dalton dealing with the trauma and grief and stuff that he doesn't remember because they uh, Patrick Wilson's character and the son they go through hypnosis at the very beginning of the movie to forget the events of what happened in the first two which is what results in them having a fractured relationship because they neither one of them can understand why they can't connect to the other one and it's also the reason why Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne's marriage dissolve because he can't remember what's happened and she remembers what's happened but she's and even though she knows that like it wasn't his fault. She can't move past the fact that he tried to kill her and their kids. Which is understandable, but it's also frustrating because I'm like, okay, yes, it wasn't him. And he doesn't even remember any of this, so you can't really hold that against him. Because in his mind, you're just withdrawing from him for no reason. Like, 
there's a lot of victims in this movie, and I feel like some of them were just kind of annoying. But Patrick Wilson and Dalton, they're they're got a terrible relationship. Dalton's trying to piece together the events of his past because he doesn't remember anything from the year he was in a coma, and eventually he realized that, oh, my dad tried to kill me. Patrick Wilson is just trying to, like, figure out, like, why he can't connect with his children and also deal with the trauma of his dad not being around when he was a kid, which I don't remember them actually focusing on in either of his other two movies. I think they probably mentioned it in passing, but not, like, not, like, uh, exploring it. Right. It, if if, it, if it they did, it like wasn't a, something that was, like, a big plot. It point. was probably something like, and I haven't seen his movies in years, but it was probably something like him saying, hey, my dad wasn't around, or right. my dad took off when I was a kid, or his mom saying, you know, after your dad left, you right. know, something like that. It wasn't... It was never a plot point that was significant, right? Um, so but they kind of did. They did some interesting retconning there, but I, yeah. I, uh, it at the end, of, it, it the movie itself is not a bad movie, and it honestly just boils down to a movie of generations of fathers and sons trying to work through their trauma to be better for the person that they're responsible for. Patrick Wilson's dad pops up as a ghost, which, okay, sure, I have no feelings towards that because you didn't make that important in the first two movies he was in. And at the end, like, I don't know. It really only served to have some of the creepier jump scares in the film. And this movie is real jump scare heavy. And it gets kind of annoying after a point. So, like, I agree with you. I do think it's uh, better. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think it's better than <laughs> a fly flew in my mouth. <clears throat> oh goodness! I do think it's better than three and four. Yeah. Uh, because I think that the the strength of the Insidious series is those original elements of the Lambert saga. Mm-hmm. Um. And there are moments in this movie where Patrick Wilson does a fine job of creating tension. And using the situational context of what's happening to the characters to be scary in of itself. Mm-hmm. Like, the scene inside the MRI machine is really horrifying. Yes. Because anyone who's claustrophobic like myself, that's already scary. You don't even need horror elements to it. But the fact that they build the tension in that scene so well, and there is... Uh, the, the jump scare is, is is honestly more relief when it finally happens because it's so tense building up to it. Um, that was the scariest part of this movie for me. Um, it was not as creepy overall as the first the first movie. It was less funny than the second movie because remember the second movie had some funny bits with the Ghostbuster guys that work with Elise. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I thought it was a good conclusion to that family storyline. I think it was a good idea to go to return to them if you were going to do another Insidious movie at this point. Um, I think it's got, like... The thing about Insidious that I've always been intrigued by is this concept of the further. For anyone who has not seen these movies, 
The further is like a spiritual version of like the upside down. Um, it's not like a parallel dimension that you would access through science. This is like these people have the ability to astral project. And then the further is this realm of tormented souls that they go into. It's hell. And, and it's very much like hell. Um, I've always wondered, um, you know, I've always been curious about the mythology and the movies don't really expound upon that. Mm -hmm. But one thing about this movie is that the further was a little bit less imposing. Um, I think the further in some of those sequences in the first and second movie were really genuinely very terrifying. By the time you get to the further in this, um, it was mostly like, don't you dare play that freaking tiptoe through the tulip song, and then they did it anyway. Um, it was one of the things that annoyed me. They didn't use it as much as I thought they would. And considering that Jed Maul... That's his, like, signature thing. And he's been trying to get to Dalton this whole movie. I feel like there should have been more moments of that song playing. As if it's kind of drawing Dalton back into the further more and more. And each time you just get more and more of the song. Until he finally lands in that, like, weird, creepy attic room where he was in, like, the first movie and in this one. And then you get, like, the full song. I uh, I was hoping for more information about Jed Mull, because um, old Jed's been around for, um, he's been around since day one. That motherfucker was problematic. Uh, I can remember being 20 years old, 21 years old, watching Insidious uh, for the first time, and, and actually being very deeply disturbed mm. by that jump scare where Jed Mull pops up. Didn't we um, watch it? Because we, we were together when we watched it. We were at Kit's house. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. Yeah, we were at Hi, our, Kit. Uh, yeah, we were at our friend Kit's house with uh, hanging out with her daughter Katie and um, uh, a bunch of our other friends. And um, I, I just remember me and uh, one of our friends Derek were particularly, <laughs> particularly horrified by Insidious. Um, and of course, you know. The first one is like, you know, full on James Wan, and mm -hmm. James Wan. We we know James Wan has gone on to have more mainstream success. He has done a Fast and the Furious With movie. Patrick Wilson. Yes, yes, he has. Uh, he's done. Uh, he's doing uh, the Aquaman series, uh, which, by the way, is mysteriously undergoing reshoots again. Um, but um, I, you know, I think that overall. Insidious 5 is good, not great. It but it's it's solid. And I want them to leave the Lambert stuff alone. Yeah, I'd, like it, we're going to come back to this franchise cuz nothing ever ends. I feel like they've gotten their happy ending. They've sealed Jed Maul away. We're, we're leave them alone. I would I would of course be happy to watch the spinoff if the trailer looks good. Um, I don't need to see it 
I didn't like Sinister, and I never saw Sinister 2, so I really... I've never finished Sinister because I fell asleep the first time and I walked out the second time. So I really don't want to watch a crossover of Insidious and Sinister. Uh, I would just, you know, do your own standalone spinoffs. I give this one like a six and a half out of ten. Me too. And I think the problem is I've been spoiled on Patrick Wilson, James Wan-style horror movies because The Conjuring is phenomenal this one is just kind of like eh, i mean yeah it's a it's a thing you did a, you, you did your thing it's whatever it's not the worst horror movie i've seen in years so sure well anytime they go back and this is true with any genre it's better than true. annabelle it's true with horror but it's true with action adventure like we saw with indiana jones or the, mm-hmm. all these newer jurassic world movies when you go back to a franchise that had its peak a decade or more ago, um, you it what you want is for it to feel familiar and fulfilling. Often, it feels either all wrong because they didn't get the right elements in place, mm-hmm. or it does feel familiar, but it feels tired. Look at and, you, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, I think for the most part, this one did not feel tired, but it did feel like a little bit of a relic of the past. Like, it felt like, okay, Insidious, the like, Patrick Wilson, because, you know, he, like, he did The Conjuring at the same time. It's like, mm-hmm. and we're getting another Conjuring, of course, like, and The Nun 2 and all that. Like, you know, it feels like The Conjuring-verse and Insidious are relics of what horror was 10 to 12 years ago 10 to 15 years ago and it feels like horror has sort of moved on past those and so in a way they feel tired to me the same in the same way that by the late 80s to mid 90s the michael myers jason freddy movies felt tired compared to what they felt like when they were new mm-hmm. so like I liked Insidious. If you like horror movies, I think you're going to enjoy Insidious 5. Um, but I do think there's a an expiration date for my interest in these movies. Um, not reached it yet. And it does help if the movie is competently made. If I go watch a spinoff or two and they're terrible, that'll probably kill it. Yeah. But... But yes, I do think I am. Don't get me wrong; I am not not recommending it. If you like horror movies, I am recommending this movie. I'm just stating that I have a little tiny bit of fatigue starting to creep in for some of the franchises that have gotten a little long in the tooth over the last fifteen years. Good example of that: Cloverfield. Yes, the first one, phenomenal. Cloverfield Lane, great movie. I think Cloverfield Lane is better than the first one. I agree. Cloverfield Paradox was a bit the one that they told us they the one where they showed us a trailer during the Super Bowl and they were like watch it immediately after like, the Super Bowl on Netflix in one hour and we were like what and we watched it and it was garbage and we should have gone to sleep because we had to be at work the next morning and it was garbage it was hot garbage uh, and I you hear can tell that it, it wasn't. Like, it's obvious that movie wasn't supposed to be a Cloverfield movie. No. They were just like, let's just do this and slap Cloverfield on it. 
the movie with Ryan Reynolds, uh, Life or whatever, uh, that was a better space things go wrong type movie. It That's had Jogan from Lost. Is that the one where like at the end of it, there's two people on the on the escape pods and they think they're launching it into space, but in reality, one of them gets launched off into space and then the like weird, creepy alien virus thing lands on Earth. Yes. Good movie. Yeah. And if they had been like, <laughs> it would have been annoying. And I'd have gone, hell no, at the end of it. But if that movie had ended and then in the end credit scene, it was just like, Venom. I'd have been like, I actually thought it was no. a backdoor into Venom. Um, but. It would have been better than the Sony Venom. <laughs> but no, that actually, Life was a good movie. Um, I will say this just like, because we talked, we're like just briefly to bring up aliens there. Um, Fetty Alvarez, who directed Evil Dead in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, and he also did Don't Breathe, I believe. Um, he just finished his Alien sequel that he was filming. So I didn't even know he was yeah. doing an Alien sequel. So I, I think Ridley Scott was involved in some capacity. I don't know if it's set like in the series proper or if it's set in the Prometheus Alien Covenant timeline. I'm not sure. But uh, I'm fine with either because I enjoyed the regular yeah. series and I enjoyed Prometheus. Yeah, and, I uh, did too. Alien Covenant. And I, yeah, I, I I liked Prometheus at the time, and I I liked Alien Covenant. I thought Alien Covenant made Prometheus even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I'm kind of rooting for it to be in the Prometheus timeline, but I would be happy either way. Good to see Alien again. That director, like I honestly, I prefer his Evil Dead movie than like the originals. Like, I think the originals are good, but they're very campy, and I don't necessarily like campy horror. I like, if I'm watching horror, I want to be scared. I'm never scared watching the original three movies. His version, I was unsettled the entire time, especially when one of them got the uh, syringe and was about to stab old person in the eye. Absolutely not. Yeah. And then when a girl pulled her arm out from underneath the car and you just saw, like, the whole thing rip, disgusting. Uh, and I actually think that in terms of, like, being, like, frightening, um, I actually kind of think that his Evil Dead was scarier than the one that came out this year. Even though Evil Dead Rise was a good movie. I still need to watch that. Uh, it's a good movie. Uh, not my favorite horror movie. It was a good movie. Um, I think I gave that one like a six and a half out of ten or a seven out of ten. I liked it in the neighborhood of how I liked Insidious. Okay, so um, the biggest uh, blockbuster film of the year thus far, considering that The Flash was dead on arrival, um, is Tom Cruise's newest installment of Mission Impossible, directed by the great Christopher McQuarrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Um, and interestingly enough, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie actually surprised some fans last night at Atlantic Station, uh, downtown Atlanta. Still pissed. <sighs> we can't have anything. Hashtag the universe doesn't want us to win. Um, but we did get to see it this morning. Um, 
because we were, you know, being working in the realm of education, we had the privilege of being able to go see a movie uh, in the morning um, when it comes out in the middle of the week. So, yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, which is good because this movie was two hours and 43 minutes long. Dude. Um, but I will didn't say. It didn't feel that long. Though. It didn't. It really. It moves at a really breakneck pace. Um, yeah, like. Have you noticed, though, that most of these Mission Impossible movies. They're just really long chase scenes with like some dialogue yeah. thrown in in between them. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad at it though. And I'll be honest with you, like I'm not, um, I'm not a big huge fan of the original movie. Um, I like it okay. Um, I didn't like Mission Impossible two. Um, I like the first one more than two and three. I three but, three has not aged well. Mm-mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman was the most interesting part He's of it. He's the reason three is a good movie. And like, but I think I'm okay. A so big one, fan of like four through the present. One good movie. Two, John Woo was smoking crack. Three, no, no. Like I said, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the reason it's a good movie. Four through seven have been phenomenal. Yeah, I'm a. It's, and it's, I think it's because Tom Cruise has taken a more hands-on approach to these movies. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, we all know Tom Cruise is absolutely batshit crazy and does his own stunts most of the time. And I love him for it. Uh, they have, they have like, what I love about these movies, they are smart blockbusters, mm-hmm. but no matter how convoluted they get, these movies do a good job of explaining, okay, here is, uh, they always do a great job of recapping, here is what... Uh, you know, the IMF is. Mm-hmm. This is who the team is. Mm-hmm. This is who Ethan is. This is who the bad guy, it seems to be. This is what it seems like they want. And here's the mission, should he choose to accept it. They do a really good job of then throwing you into action that is choreographed well, that makes sense visually, that follows, like... It follows. It, these movies are edited seamlessly. It's the like, best kind of formulaic storytelling. Right. Because, yeah. one, they make it easy for... Because I promise you, if you had never seen one through six, you could go into this yes. movie and you will know exactly what happens in at least the and last two. I love how the beginning of this movie shows like a new recruit meeting Ethan for the first time mm-hmm. and Ethan makes him like... Or, like, Ethan's like, you have to ask me to say the oath. And, like, the oath, basically, you know, it's like, we live and die in the shadows to protect those we hold close and for those we'll never meet. Mm -hmm. And that tells you everything you need to know about Ethan as a character, about, like, Luther and Benji as characters, because the IMF are good people. Yes. And, like, they care. Like, one thing about this, even though they're action movies, it, like, does make me have some emotion for these characters because, like... Ethan Hunt is a good person. Yes. He cares about people. And, like, later well, it's on... it's why when he tells certain characters, who, uh, he's telling Haley Atwell's character, and she was like, can you promise me that I'll be okay? And he was like, like no, I can't promise that, but I can promise you that I'll do everything I can to protect you. And she was like, how can I know that's true? And he was like, because I, I will always care about your life more than my own. And then, earlier in the movie, where they're discussing, like, the mission... 
And Ving Rhames' character, uh, Luther, is like, nothing can be more important than this mission. And Ethan, like, doesn't even, he doesn't even think about it. He was like, I refuse to accept that. Because yeah. Ving Rhames, nothing can be more important than this mission, including our lives. And, Tom, and uh, Ethan is just like, no, I refuse to accept that. Because... To him, the only thing that truly matters is protecting the people he cares about and complete random strangers. Because he's going above and beyond throughout this movie to save Haley Atwell's character. Well, and he doesn't and, even know her. Well, and she says at one point, she's like, but like you don't even know me. And like, it's like why should that matter? They're like, why should why should that matter? Yeah. And and that's really like touching to me, because these are good, these are like, these are like it's not dissimilar from the reason that, like, Superman and Batman, yeah. like, superheroes, like, lay their lives on the line. You know, like, I mean, I guess these guys are taking more of a risk not having superpowers. But, like, you know what I mean? It's the right. same instinct. And I really like that about these movies where they've basically well, it, embraced, kind of like Fast the, and Furious, they've yeah. embraced the fact that these characters are, like, superheroes right. at this point. I love the fact that they tell Haley Atwell's character, Grace... They're not doing this because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. And That's, that tells they, you... They have to accept every single mission. So, so what? They, they have to accept... Every, every single mission's a choice. Like, right. they don't... No one's going to hunt them down and kill them if they don't accept the mission. That's not the way it works. Right. Like, they go to them because they know these people have the skills and, mm-hmm. like, the drive to do what needs to be done. But, like, they can't force them to do it. Right. It, 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 the Mission Impossible movies, as ridiculous as some of them have gotten, they're so good because, like you said, they know what they are and they embrace it fully. And more so than the Fast and Furious movies, you can tell that there's like a genuine heart to this franchise. Yes. And even if it's coming from Tom Cruise, who people have a problem with Tom Cruise he genuinely cares about the franchise and like telling good stories so i never have to worry about whether or not the movie is going to be good tom cruise is a remarkable actor tom cruise is 110% dialed in all the time mm-hmm. tom cruise is as good as his job as anybody in hollywood and i would argue even though i do think tom cruise is batshit crazy in real life i would argue that Tom Cruise, he certainly is in my lifetime, but I would argue that Tom Cruise might be the greatest, like, like movie star of all time. Well, I think like, that he's the only legitimate movie star left. Because yeah, like, there aren't movie stars the way there used to be. Like... There's a few that okay. There's, so there's some, but it's most. There's a few. There's most of them are people that were movie stars before the newer generation. And like, then you've got your you've got your Michael B. Jordans, who yeah. I would argue is a movie star, like Robert Downey Jr. Robert, I don't I, like. But see, Robert's part of the old guard. Too. Well, yeah, I mean he's part and of the old guard. Leo's part of the old. Leo's guard. part of the old guard. Well, I guess Tom is too, though, because Tom. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but Tom is the only one whose name. You can throw on a movie poster and a trailer and people are going to flock to see it. Because I love Leo. People don't really flock to Leo movies like that anymore. Right. He's not making the blockbusters that make exactly. lots Robert of Robert Downey money. Jr. is doing a lot more mm. like lower budget, like, I'm not going to say independent movies, but just like less blockbustery movies. Right. 
Although he's in Oppenheimer, which is going to be fantastic. I, I think Tom is... He's the only one who I consider to be, like, a legitimate movie star who's still making blockbuster movies that are must-see movies. Because mm-hmm. I love Brad Pitt, and I love right. Bullet Train. People did not flock to see Bullet Train. No. I think they should have, but they didn't. Tom Cruise is just like, nope. And it's because, one... You just know that Tom is going to be like, like you said, 100% dialed in. And I think it helps the fact that he does as much of his own stunts as he can. It it just it just goes to show that, like, I never question whether or not a Tom Cruise movie is just him doing a movie because he wanted a paycheck. Right. It's him doing a movie because he genuinely cares about the art of storytelling and movies. It's why... This movie and Top Gun Maverick, there's the there's the bit at the very beginning of it where he was like, "Thank you for coming out. We want we want you to watch these movies in theaters the way they were meant to be seen." I think Tom Cruise is one of the reasons why we still have movies that people want to go watch uh-huh. in a movie theater because I love Top Gun Maverick, and I've seen it, like, once since I watched it in a movie theater. It's not the same watching it at home. No. And no, none of it, these movies are the same when you get them on Exactly. 4K like, un- unless you just have your own movie studio in your house, you lose a lot of the magic that you get going to a movie theater and watching it there. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the, this movie in particular, I what I love about these movies is... They do such a good job of the twirling mustache Bond villains mm-hmm. being like always being like just these real like pricks and yes. and, and and they do a great job of like that having, character this time played like, by the great Si, SI Morales. They yes. they ha- I love how they always find new and creative ways for the mission to be even more impossible and the world mm-hmm. to be in even more danger. It's like. This time they're really gonna freaking destroy the planet. Well, like this, they're really this, gonna control so the planet. So in you the know. last movie, yeah. in the last movie, well, okay, no. So this is seven. Going back to five, which was Rogue Nation, it was, uh, and I forget the villain's name, but it was old crusty buddy who um, was just like, I was a disavowed agent, and I'm gonna wreak chaos on the planet. They stop him. He comes back in the Solomon, next movie. Whatever his name yes. is. He comes back in the next movie and he's got like Henry Cavill on his side. He was like, I'm gonna let off a nuclear holocaust oh, yes. to destroy the world. Henry Cavill, the great John Locke himself. Although, in uh, yeah. this movie, I love, there's the moment where uh, they're like, the White Widow still thinks that Ethan is John Locke. And he's like, Who's to say I'm not? <laughs> and then like later she calls him John because she still thinks he, she's still convinced he's John Lark. Right. And I'm like, what a twist that would be at the end of the series if he was really the real John Lark Dude. and he was the final bad guy. I'd be like, oh, we all did you did me dirty. <laughs> but um, I haven't been this betrayed since I realized that Roman Pierce was gonna be the villain in Fast and Furious. <laughs> but no, um, so of course in this movie. When when your when your mission was stopping a nuclear fallout in the last movie, at this point all you've got left is artificial intelligence. Right. But they do it so well. Right. And it's it's not like 
cheesy Terminator artificial intelligence. It's, no, we developed an artificial intelligence that we were going to use because we were tired of having to send human beings into the field because human beings can be fallible. We send, we send it into the field. It learns. It eliminates the target. We bring it back. It moves on. But we did too good of a job making this, so it started thinking for itself, and now it's just calling the shots. And by the end of this movie, we still don't actually know what the what, what, what was his name the not the, the entity the entity. I was about to like the adversary. I'm like no, that's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the ent- we don't know what the entities end goal is in any of this by the end of the movie um and honestly this movie ends on a pretty decent cliffhanger i'm pretty sure that uh, it it does it does end on a cliffhanger and i enjoy i like i appreciate that the cliffhanger uh also felt like a natural midway point in the story mm-hmm. After a huge set piece, and, right. and, and they did accomplish an object, an object, like part A of the of the mission. Right. They got they got um, the key. and two things. One, I just I haven't seen her in anything like in a couple of years. It was nice to see uh, Haley Atwell again because mm. my lord, am I in love with Haley? The Atwell. last thing I saw her in was Civil War. That is a because I did not watch Agent Carter. That is a truly, truly beautiful woman. Control yourself. Oh um, wait, um, I so as much as I love this movie, there were parts of it that I did not like, mainly because, and I know that they're just going to everything I did not like. They're going to cover in the next movie that comes out next year. God, I wish it was coming out like in December. I think it comes out June twenty fourth. Yep. Um, I'm like, so I need to. I'm like, I'm like, I looked at Logan. I was like, ah, like, like no one is guaranteed to continue to live, and I don't like when they do. Not this. if you eating these deadly casseroles Look, you want your wife to make you. That's so the main human antagonist in this movie is played by Si Morales. Who goes by the name Gabriel? This movie opens up with like him killing somebody who Ethan was very close to years ago before Ethan joined the IMF. That's great. That's interesting. I don't know who this person was to Ethan, though. Right. So it doesn't really mean anything that like this guy killed someone that he cared about. Now, if they had done a better job of like showing that this person meant the world to Ethan and this is where he gets the whole nothing is more important than like the lives of the people I care about, that's great. That's cool. But they don't do that. It's literally right. just a flashback of S.I. Morales, uh, Gabriel, killing this lady who we've never seen before. And Ethan being distraught and getting arrested, which I assume is what leads to him joining the IMF. Actually, they pretty much just flat out say that's what led to him joining the IMF. I need more of their backstory because every time they see each other, Ethan wants to murder this man. And he's about to, like, 
screw up the mission at the end of the movie because he's about to kill this man and he gets stopped. And you can tell that Gabriel's feel some type of way about Ethan also, but they don't actually say how these two know each other. I, I, yeah, and I do agree with you, but I also think that, like you said, that's probably... That's probably going to be like how yeah. they start the second movie. They'll probably have to go back in because I think that when they made a decision, and I'm just guessing here, that when they made a decision not to front load this movie with that information, mm-hmm. they probably knew like, okay, well, we, one one question the audience will be asking is like, who is this Gabriel person to Ethan? What's going on here? We need to like give them that context before the final confrontation. I wish we had been um, at Atlantic Station last night because if they had had a question and answer segment, I'd have raised my hand. I'm like, are we going to get the backstory to these two in the next movie? Right. Um, also, Tom, how about that Les Grossman and uh, who, uh, Kurt Lazarus spinoff? Um, <laughs> the, the, the two movie stars. Arctic Lightning. Give it yes. to me. Uh, but look, I really like this movie. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I told Logan, I think this is my favorite movie of the year. And on my rating system, like all, like honestly, almost nothing ever gets a nine or a ten. Like so, this was the first nine of the year for me. Mm-hmm. And um, like there are a few others that stand to possibly, you know, like I could potentially see Oppenheimer being in that eight to ten range, depending on how well it goes. Um, but. I'm really looking forward to uh, next year to see this story this story wrapped up and looking forward to see what happens with this franchise in the future. It's my, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. So yeah. I gave it a um, eight and a half out of ten just because of like the stuff that I had an issue with. Now, I do think that I'll probably raise the rating once I've seen part two and I can view it all as like one One giant story but until then solid eight and a half and probably the best Mission Impossible movie since five I would agree yeah um I so next week um or over the next couple of weeks we got uh, the Barbenheimer phenomenon, um, the phenomenon in which got to watch uh, a movie about Barbie and a movie about the creation of the atom bomb. I'm going to watch one of those and I promise <sighs> in the you same it, week. it won't be Barbie. Um, I'm going to watch both in the same week. Uh, I'm going to try to get to IMAX to watch Oppenheimer. I really want to see that explosion in the biggest possible format. Um, excited for a new Christopher Nolan film. Hoping it's more enjoyable than Tenet, which was one of one of the two or three Nolan films I didn't care that much about. Um, looking forward to Oppenheimer, and uh, less so, but still looking forward to Barbie. Looking forward to The Haunting in Venice. Um, gonna watch Blue Beetle. Looking forward to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the umpteenth um, edition reboot. And also looking forward to... Uh, the Haunted Mansion reboot that's coming out in a couple of weeks. So, uh, a lot of good stuff to watch coming down the pike. A lot of good stuff to review for you guys. Um, I think that's about it. Logan, anything else we want to share with the people before we bid them adieu? 
work on the YouTube channel is coming along nicely. Uh, the Logan and Jake takeout will be happening soon. We're both finally back in the same place, so we should uh, be getting to that at some point. And uh, besides that, uh, just feel free to email us. You know where to find us, lnjpod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're not on threads because I'm not we're, not, we're not joining threads. You're familiar with threads? Have you heard about threads? I've heard about the it's threads. The, it's, the, it's the Mark Zuckerberg version of Twitter. Uh, uh, I personally this, will never be getting it because uh, it's connected to your Instagram, yeah. and the only way to delete it is to, to delete, delete Instagram. Instagram. No, nah. uh, no, uh, I'm I'm Team Musk in this cage match that uh, is supposedly going to happen. So I'm going to stick with the uh, Twitter. I'm Team Zuck just because I think Elon is going to get fucking wrecked. And I don't care either way because it's just two people with more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime in a pissing contest. But I don't see Elon winning that fight at all. Um, I don't see either of them winning. I don't see Zuckerberg being... Uh, Have you seen Zuck? He's jacked now. Um, eh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I, I'm going to ride with... I won't be paying to watch the fight, though. Um, I will illegally stream it because they're not getting my money. All right. Well, we will uh, talk to you all later. Have safe out. Have safe. (laughs) (laughs) Be safe out there. Have fun. Enjoy the remaining few weeks of summer. Uh, Go see Mission Impossible, Insidious, Oppenheimer, Barbie. Go out there and live your life, kids. Um, we'll be back soon with reviews of Oppenheimer, uh, and among other things. So, um, until next time, bye bye now. Bye bye. Make wise choices. Let her cry. Death.